Welcome to the 82nd episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with historical novelist Elizabeth Lupus. Elizabeth's latest novel is The Flower Reader. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Elizabeth Lupus, author of the new historical novel, The Flower Reader. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be here. Sure. Well, if the listeners haven't heard about The Flower Reader yet, how would you describe your novel? Well, I would describe it as a historical novel with elements of a thriller, a mystery, uh, an adventure, a romance. It's classic historical swashbuckling. Great. Well, as the title alludes, and I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce the character's name, is it Renette? Renette, right. Well, as as the title alludes, Renette, the character can read flowers. Is that something that you came up with, or is there a basis in history for reading flowers? And also, I guess if you could describe it a little bit as well, in case someone hasn't read the novel yet. Okay, well, let me start out by just describing the story a little bit. And as you say, it's the story of a girl named Marina or Renette Leslie of Grand Muir. This is in 16th century Scotland. And she has a variation of the sight, which is divining the future with flowers. Floromancy, doing magic with flowers, uh, is has existed since the beginning of time. I didn't know this when I first came up with the idea. It was one of those jump out of bed in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, she's going to be able to do magic with flowers. So then I started researching it and oh my gosh, here's floromancy. Um, Probably the simplest way to describe it is if you have ever taken a daisy and pulled off the petals he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. That's a form of floromancy. Great. Well, what was the original impetus or idea that led you to write The Flower Reader? Well, I have always been fascinated by Mary, Queen of Scots, and that's kind of where it started. I wanted to write about Mary, and I wanted to write about Mary when she first came back to Scotland from France, before all the tragedies started to happen to her later on, um, because she actually reigned in Scotland for four years as a fairly successful queen before, sadly, her heart led her off into Darnley's toils, and then, you know, it was all downhill from there. And I was also fascinated by the casket letters. And these were letters that may have been forgeries, may not have been forgeries, were used at her trial in England to accuse her of murdering her husband, Darnley. Um, Then they, of course, conveniently disappeared, so no one has ever really been able to know whether they were forged or not forged, and there's this argument has come down through history. But they're called the casket letters because they were discovered in a silver casket. And this particular silver casket plays a large role in the story because I got to thinking, where did this silver casket come from? 
and what was its history before Mary or someone started putting these letters in it. So everyone in the story wants the silver casket because it has secret documents in it. It has quatrains that Nostradamus wrote privately for Mary of Guise, who was Mary Queen of Scots' mother, that, you know, tell the future. Nostradamus was like the National Enquirer of his day, you know, <laughs> telling all the gossip of the uh, rich and famous and all the predicting the future. Um, and he did write private quatrains, private predictions for royalty and, you know, for people who could pay him a lot of money for it. So uh, we have these these mysterious private quatrains of Nostradamus that everybody in Europe wants to get their hands on because they supposedly reveal what the future of Mary Queen of Scots' reign in Scotland will be. Right. And, and given, your, given your research about Mary Queen of Scots, what do you think that most people don't realize or misunderstand about her, in your opinion? The classic dichotomy with Mary, Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth Tudor, Queen Elizabeth I, is that Mary followed her heart while Queen Elizabeth followed her head. But Mary was not as foolish and romantic as people tend to think she was. She was, she had been brought up to reign. She had been Queen of France. Unfortunately, the little king died, so she uh, had to find another queenship. Um, she had been born Queen of Scotland, although she had been brought up in France. She was very well educated. She was not a foolish woman by any stretch of the imagination. Now, she made some bad decisions, as we would say in our modern uh, parlance. Um, but in those four years, after the time she came back to Scotland, up until the time Lord Darnley came down from England and got her into his toils, she reigned very successfully and managed to keep the Catholic and the Protestant elements of her court balanced, which was no mean feat in those days of the early Reformation. Right. And, and what, what, is the, what was the research process like for you for the flower reader? Is it intimidating to, to start the research? And, and do you find yourself in, in the writing, do you find yourself removing his, historical details in the editing process? Or do you have to end up adding more in? What, what was that like for you? Uh, the research is not intimidating at all because I love it. Uh, I have to watch out that I don't spend weeks and weeks just doing no nothing but reading old manuscripts and researching and don't actually get any writing done. The researching is fun. Um, I probably usually have to cut stuff out just because, oh, you learn so many fascinating things and you want to put them all in. But of course, you know, the book would be 800 pages long and the story would be pretty darn slow if you put all that stuff in. Right, right. And and, and what was the path to publication like for you initially? I, I know you had an earlier novel published, The Second Duchess. Have you always mm -hmm. wanted have you always wanted to write and, and and what led you to writing The Second Duchess and how easy or hard was it for you to find an agent and then a publisher? I don't know that I can say that I've always wanted to write. I've always loved reading and I've always loved kind of telling stories in my head, making up stories. This started when I was a child. My great secret 
joy was to sneak my parents' adult novels off the bookshelf and go off in a corner somewhere where nobody could see me and read them. And this was, oh, Frank Yerby and Thomas Costain, wonderful old swashbuckling historical fiction, which is kind of out of fashion now, but I just loved it and loved making up stories in my head that might fit in those worlds and those times. Um, I did have another couple of careers in there <laughs> while I was just spending all my storytelling uh, time reading. But I was uh, tutoring a high school student through an essay on Robert Browning's My Last Duchess. And every senior in high school in the United States reads My Last Duchess and probably writes an essay on it. And it just suddenly struck me as I was reading. I don't know if you're familiar with the poem, but we have the Duke is talking about how he silenced and got rid of his first duchess. And he's talking to an envoy arranging a marriage to a second duchess. And I thought, what did that second duchess think about all this? You know, here she arrived in in town and I'm sure everybody was whispering about what happened to the first duchess <laughs> and it just struck me it's just one of those ideas that hit you and you think I've got to write this so I started researching it I thought it was all fictional I thought Browning had just made it up mm -hmm. but I started researching it and I realized that Browning had used real historical characters personages as characters in this poem so, and we have, uh, the Duke was Alfonso d'Este II, and the first duchess was Lucrezia de' Medici, so we have Medici in there. The second duchess was Barbara of Austria. So, you know, that got me off on really historical fiction as opposed to just kind of fantasy or romance, because I was learning about these people. So, I wrote that book. I started it in... Like spring of 2002 and didn't write. I mean, I would work on it and let it go and work on it and let it go. But finally, I got it finished and I said to myself, now, Elizabeth, <laughs> you have got to start sending this out into the world because that's a very scary thing. Yes. So I started querying in spring of 2008. And, you know, I got a couple of near misses, and I got a lot, well, a few rejections, mostly just silence. I mean, that's the thing these days is no response means no, so you just get no response at all. Right. But I finally connected with one agent who not only really loved the book, but she and I matched really well in our goals and personalities. And so I signed with her. That would have been in 2009, in February 2009. And she sold the book that summer. So she sold the book fairly quickly wow. uh, to New American Library, to Penguin. Um, once I had gotten through that whole long process of writing the book and you know, finding an agent. And the agent made me do some revisions. And then once I got an editor at Penguin, she had me do more revisions. And it was scheduled for January 2011, and then at the very last minute got put back two months to March 2011 because an opportunity arose to 
connect it with a promotion to do with the Borges, the Showtime show. Right, right. So uh, at Bar- Barnes & Noble had these like end caps that would have pictures of Jeremy Irons and stuff in the Borges. And then they'd have books, you know, if you like the Borges – here are some books you might like. And so I got to have the second Duchess in that, which was a huge rush to see that. Um, and the, the connection, well, the connection with the Borgias is kind of tenuous, but Lucrezia Borgia was the Duke of the second Duchess's grandmother. So there was a relationship there. <laughs> it was <laughs> Renaissance Italy, you know, close right. enough, I guess. Exactly. So, so, so what has the writing process been uh, like for you for the flower reader and the second duchess? Do you outline extensively before you sit down and write, or do you write more organically? I'm an outliner. I do outline very extensively. Um, I write detailed outlines and then the the one quirk that I have is that I have to have something on a single page. So I do what I call a line-by-line outline, which is one line for each chapter and maybe 40 chapters. So it all fits. If I do it um, landscape style, I can get it all on one page. So I can look at it, and there's the whole thing right there on one page. And for some reason, that really helps me to you know, visualize the structure of the book and keep the whole thing in mind as I go. Right. Um, other than that, you know, it's just you got to write a little bit every day. Yeah. And 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 what tips or advice would you offer for aspiring writers, given your experience with the Second Duchess and now the Flower Reader? Um, perseverance is probably the biggest thing that we all have to have because it's a hard road to hoe out there, and. Lots of the overnight successes that you see have really been toiling away for years and years before they get that overnight success. So you've got to kind of have a vision as to what kind of stories you want to tell, and then you need to stick with it and keep working, keep querying. Uh, that kind of feeds into being tough. You've got to have a thick skin. You're going to get rejected. Nobody just goes straight to success, so... Be tough, be flexible, always keep learning because you never know everything. Sure. Um, And, you know, another thing that I think is really important is to keep reading. And that's not always as easy as it sounds because when I first really seriously started focusing on writing, it was harder for me to just read for pleasure because I would pick up a book and I'd start taking it apart in my head. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, saying, oh, well, I wouldn't write it that way, or, oh, my gosh, I'll never write anything as good as that, or, you know, (laughs) it was hard to just read. So I've really worked on it. I have a set time every day at my lunchtime that I got away from my computer and away from my writing, and I always have a book, if not two or three, going, and I read. And I read old stuff, I read new stuff, I read classics, I read research books, whatever, but I read. And I, you know, you have to keep, I think it helps, it fills the well, it keeps your mind fresh, and especially making an effort to keep up with all the new stuff, um, you know, keeps you aware of what's going on out there in the world. Sure. And and that kind of leads into my next question. What what books, fiction or nonfiction, have you read lately in the last six months to a year that really made an impression on you and that you might recommend? Um, 
I would recommend anything by Kate Quinn, who writes historical fiction set in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished reading her Empress of the Seven Hills, which released on the same day that Flower Reader released. But that was her third book. She's written two others. They're all wonderful. So if you like historical fiction, you will love Kate Quinn. Um, Michelle Moran is another one. Uh, she's she's kind of been, she's written some set in ancient Egypt. Um, her more recent one is Madame Tussaud set, you know, Tussaud, the wax museum lady and, you know, her life and how she came to be what she was. Um, I love Cecilia Holland. Uh, I've read Cecilia Holland for many, many years and she is, is, she had kind of, I don't know if she had stopped writing for a while, but just hadn't had as much stuff published for a while. But now she's been writing new stuff. And, uh, you know, Cecilia Holland is one of my great idols in the writing world. And another is Dorothy Dinette. Um So that's kind of historical fiction. Let me mm-hmm. think. Mystery. I really, I like mystery. I like historical mystery. Um, I love C.S. Harris. Um, Margaret Fraser is wonderful. Ariana Franklin, who sadly died last year, so we won't have any more of her wonderful Mistress of the Art of Death books, but uh, they were terrific. Uh, I like P.D. James, you know, for contemporary mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm kind of an Anglophile in a way, and I like books that are kind of everyday life in England, <laughs> a strange taste of mine, but Angela Thurkell and E.F. Benson, the Lucia books, um, E.M. Delafield, the Diary of a Provincial Lady. Oh, those are my comfort books. I can just sit and lap those up and they make me feel so much better about life. That's great. That's great. Well, where can people find you online? They can find me at elizabethlupus.com. Great. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, again, we've been speaking with Elizabeth Lupus, author of the new novel, The Flower Reader, available in bookstores now or as an ebook. Elizabeth, thanks for doing the interview. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. This is my very first podcast. Well, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you were able to do it. So I've enjoyed it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 